Alright, so we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this evening, and this morning we talked about the doctrine of repentance for salvation, and we showed how when it comes to salvation, there are no works absolutely involved. I think we understand that. It is believing on Christ. But tonight we are going to talk about the doctrine of repentance for believers. Repentance should be a regular part of our life, and Christians, believers, saved people are constantly called to repentance. And so we're going to look at some scriptures tonight on this. And I want to start reading in verse 19 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Notice it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. God knows everybody who's saved. And he says, And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is a call to believers, if you are naming Christ, if you are somebody who is claiming to be saved, depart from iniquity. Get away from it. That's, that's, that's a call to repentance right there. Depart from iniquity. We were all there. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins at one time. But God does not want to stay in this way. Verse 20, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, and some to dishonor. Does any, anybody have their special dishes that they use when company's over? I don't know if you have your special china or whatever. Okay, everybody in here's got a bunch of little kids, so you don't do that stuff. You know, it's like we don't care about those things. Use paper plates, right? But in some places, some cultures, they might have their fancy stuff for when for when company's there, and that's what they have in a great house. Some do honor, some to dishonor. Okay, if you had the president over, never mind. Uh, who's who's somebody we honor? <laughs> But you know, if you had somebody honorable over that you respected, you know, you don't want to give them the paper plates. You know, you're gonna use you're gonna use something nice. And we see he's talking about vessels of honor and dishonor. And so he says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, okay? We talked about this this morning. There is a cleansing that Christ does for us that saves us. But understand, our physical body is not saved at this point. It has the promise of salvation. We have the promise of it. You are going to go to heaven if you are saved. Your body is going to be changed, glorified one of these days when Christ returns. But in the meantime, you should purge yourself. You should do that. And if a man, therefore, if you do this, if you purge yourself, himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared Unto every good work. But you know, if you're not going to, you know, repent of your fornication and your theft and all these, God's not going to be able to use you in a great way. You're not going to be able to be a bishop if you're somebody who's doing all of these horrible sins. That's, that's not going to work. God's not going to be able to use you. But if you'll purge yourself from those things that you used to do, God can use you in a great way. But you've got to purge yourself. So it says, flee also youthful lusts. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender stripes. And how about this for a question? Well, you know, how many sins do I have to do before, you know, I commit the sin unto death? You know, how about just don't sin? Listen, if you know better, just don't do it. You know, do, I mean, do we re- it's like kids. They, they know their parents well to know how far they can push something. It's like we're always trying to figure out how far we can push things with God. How about we just don't push God? How about you just get right? How about you just repent? It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover them out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And we referenced this this morning. But here, I think this is an example of a saved person who needs to repent, too, of false doctrine. You get involved in false doctrine, not just intellectual things, but especially doctrine about behavior. A lot of doctrine, especially in First and Second Timothy, is all about our behavior. We all like talking about doctrine that's all about just what we know, what we believe. But a lot of Bible doctrine is about behavior, how we live our life. And if you get into false doctrine, meaning you start deciding, you know what, it's okay for me to live like a heathen. I'm going to go, I'm going to 
pierce myself up. I'm going to tattoo myself up. I'm going to get a mohawk and I'm going to dye it rainbow colors like the heathen do. Listen, that's false doctrine that says you can do all that stuff. A lot of these people that are ditching the IFB, I always tell people one of the reasons I'm never going to quit being IFB and go trendy is because I don't want to get a tattoo. You don't have to get a tattoo. We're the ones with liberty. All of you get tattoos after you do this, and I refuse to do that. And what I see, but that's what they all do. Uh, You can't show me a verse about not getting a tattoo. Well, I think you can about making markings in the flesh and stuff like that. But either either way, okay, you know, either way you look at it, why is it that all of you have to do that? Why why are you wanting to become more like the heathen? I, I don't understand that. We've been called away from that kind of thing. Be it everybody dumping the IFB, they're all doing the same type of stuff. And then, when you get up and just what I'm saying right here, if the, if the haters of the and the IFB knew that I, if they didn't already know that I like my preaching clips being shared, they would make a preaching clip of me talking about against the tattoos and stuff. And, but the truth is, and what they do is then everybody be saying the same thing: legalist, legalist, like I believe work salvation or something like that. But listen. I don't believe a person has to do any works for salvation. But I do believe that God has called all believers to repentance from sins. God wants us to get away. We see several references here. Clearly talking to believers to get away from sin. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 14. Or not 14. Chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth. What does henceforth mean? From now on, okay, from henceforth, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Hey, why do people, do, why do the Gentiles, why do the heathen do all the weird stuff that they do with their body? Why do they tat themselves up, pierce themselves up, get the mohawks and all that kind of stuff, wear the skinny jeans? It's vanity. It's all about look at me. Look, look what I can do. Don't do, like, don't do like they're doing. Why don't you actually go do something unique for crying out loud? Why don't you go... I'm not cool enough to think of anything to start a new trend. You know, and the one trend that needs to go away fast is I'm sick of the cow rings that all these women are getting. It's like, how do you pick your nose with those things in there? And it's just, it's disgusting looking. I'm seeing more and more of that. And it's just every drive through worker all has metal hanging out of their nose. Every, every single one of them. And I don't know how, I, I don't, I don't know how that works. But, you know, come, at least come up with something unique. All right, Chris, if you want to do something weird, and unique. I'll start wearing a halo. All right, I guess that's kind of Christian, isn't it? I don't know. But anyway, just I haven't seen the I haven't seen the heathen doing that. But what is it? All these Christian, you know, Christians are doing. They're doing everything that the heathens doing. Go do something unique. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start the halo trend. Uh, no, that's, that, that would just be weird. But look, verse 18, and that would be vanity <laughs> doing something like that. Have, but you know what? Let me it, let me say this too. If somebody like I'm, I'm getting sick of seeing Taylor Swift everywhere. I'm sick of football becoming more popular because of Taylor Swift. What is wrong with our country? But let me tell you something. Taylor Swift starts wearing a halo. Half the females in this country will start wearing a halo tomorrow. I, I guarantee it. And it's, that's how much just zombies everybody is. Just copies everybody. Verse 18. Having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And remember, repentance is repenting from one thing to repenting to something else. It is not repentance to just give up one thing. No, you have to give up one thing and go to something else. And so what we are supposed to do, we are supposed to put off the old man and put on the new man. That's repentance. Not for salvation. This is something that he is calling saved people to do because saved people don't always do this. And if you're saved and you're not doing this, you're not right with God and you will not be a vessel unto honor. There are such a thing as vessels to dishonor. And let me tell you, we got a lot of vessels to dishonor that are out there. They're saved. 
They're on their way to heaven, but God is not being honored. They are not being used of God. And here at Liberty Baptist Church, we don't want you to just do good enough to get into heaven. Because it doesn't even take any goodness to get into heaven. It just takes faith in Christ. But we would like for you, we would like for you to be a vessel unto honor. We would like to have a place where we encourage each other to be vessels unto honor. And so you know what we're going to do all day long? We are going to preach against sin in this church. And we are going to call believers repentance. Why are we talking about repentance? I'm already saved. No, we're talking about repentance because you are saved. And it's time that you start getting your act together. That you start purging yourself from things. That you put off the old man and you put on the new man. And you need to be reminded of it. Verse 23, because your old man is naturally going to want to put itself back on. And so verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Every once in a while, you need to hear another sermon just ripping on everything. Oh, it makes me feel bad. Good. You need it. Everybody needs a good kick in the pants every now and then. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying. Speak every man truth of his neighbor. You need to stop lying and you need to start speaking the truth. That's repentance. Uh, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Before, normally when we're angry, we sin. Anger is not a sin, but what we typically do in our anger is sinful. So we've got to repent of that. We've got to be angry and not sin. And that's not easy, but we can do it. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You need to give place to the devil. Let him that stole... Steal no more. That's repentance. For rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. And folks, we're not legalists. We're not preaching work salvation. We're not preaching you're going to lose your salvation if you do these things. And if we're throwing somebody out of the church because they're not repenting of certain sins, it's not that we're saying that they're going to hell, that they're not saved, but they're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And as a church, we shouldn't be doing that. As believers, we shouldn't be doing that. But let me tell you, we can. We are capable of doing all these things. But it is a great sin to do that. And notice how it says it's, these are so bad because you're sealed by that Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. And to do that to the Holy Spirit is a shameful thing, and we should not feel good about that. That should bother us. That should grieve us. But we've got to be reminded. We've got to be reminded of these things. So he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So without a doubt, as Christians, we have been called to put off the old man, put on the new man. These are calls for obedience, and these are not in any way a threat to our salvation if we fail to come through. Verse 30 proves that. And so whenever Pastor Skinny Jeans comes along and he accuses a pastor of being a legalist, or teaching some kind of work salvation when they're calling Christians to repentance, just understand that person is either lying, trying to intentionally distract, or is just using a huge logical fallacy. And it's sad that you have some people who claim to be saved and even claim to be, you know, be free grace or whatever, and they're literally triggered by the word repentance. They're triggered by those who call, are calling people away from sin. And it's like, well, so that's just without works. Hey, can we just, it, we, we get it. We agree 100% here that salvation is without works. But as a church, we are an assembly of saved, baptized believers. Okay? If, you are, um, if you are in this church and a member of this church and you have been baptized, or even if you were baptized somewhere else and you transfer your membership to this church, you have basically stated that one, you're saved. We've accepted that. We've accepted your testimony. You've been baptized, which is the first step of obedience, which is also a testimony that you want to be a follower of Christ. So the, so the thing is, we are not, when we preach about sin, we are not here to call you your salvation into question. It, and the preaching that you hear from here, okay, you, hopefully, I don't, I don't think I do this, I think I preach against this all the time. 
But I'm also against preaching to a congregation of saved, baptized believers and saying weird stuff about sin that causes people to just doubt their salvation. Where everybody that skipped church more than they should have last month, are you, are you sure you're even saved? You know, I don't do that kind of thing here. If you are here, it is just assumed and believed and it is not even doubted by me that you are saved. And any call to repentance is because we understand a saved person can really get out of line with God. But some people, they want to distract. They want to distract. It's like, no, saved people can sin. They can sin really bad. They're just not supposed to. But some people just immediately start screaming legalists. It's like they can't understand. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about Christian obedience. But they just continue and continue to beat that drum. And it's because nobody wants to have a discussion, an actual discussion. Do we believe that this kind of behavior pleases God? Because it's pretty obvious that that kind of thing doesn't please God. And, and, that, and so they are, they're distracting. It, it, it's a dis- huge distraction. And I find, it, I find it very annoying. And it's a dishonest thing. And anybody who calls a preacher legalist for preaching holiness is, in my mind, either just a deceptive liar trying to distract, completely ignorant of the Scriptures, or they're somebody who, that the Bible warned about who has turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. And, all, and e- either way, people like that should be rejected. We are not calling anyone's salvation into question. And so, uh, Titus 2.11, even though, again, we might think it sometimes, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Grace that brings salvation teaches us something. And it teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And I'm seeing a lot of pastors out there because people are speaking against preaching like this. They're backing off. They're backing off. Or they're apologizing for it. They're apologizing for preaching against sin. No. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Yeah, but it's making people despise me. Uh, when he says, let no man despise you, he's not saying, don't, you know, if you do things right, no one will ever despise you. No, just don't let it affect you. Don't let it do anything to you. Listen. If you preach this kind of thing, if you do what Paul said to do there, you will be despised. You don't believe it? Go look at my Twitter feed and see the things that Trendy say about me. They despise me. And I don't think too highly of them either. Okay? But you know what? When, I, when they start speaking against what I'm saying, trying to despise me, you know what? It doesn't affect... I just... I, I hit it back even harder. Why? Because that's what we've been called to do. And I'm going to speak and I'm going to exhort... And I'm going to rebuke, and I'm going to do it with all authority. I'm going to do it like I'm the boss. And it's not because I'm the boss, but I do know who is the boss. He gave us his instructions, and here's his instructions, and everybody wants to speak against it. They can go jump in a lake a fire, for all I care, because the Bible's very clear about this stuff. Christians shouldn't be participating in sins. It's not, it's not that complicated. And so you can all, you know... you. You can call out sin. It is possible to call out sin without questioning someone's salvation. People who are supposedly saved and offended by preaching repentance to believers is someone who just isn't fit to be in church and around decent people who love the Lord. The Bible says in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. Not if you're saved. That's what people do. That. I don't know if that person is saved. Because the Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, that doesn't say if you're saved, you'll keep my commandments. No, if you love me. And a lot of times, we do. We can let our love for self come before our love for God. And that's why we've also been commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've been commanded to do that. We don't always do that. And that's a great sin. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. 
So what do we do with that right there? Well, anathema, it means a religious ban or excommunicated or cursed. So are we saying those people aren't saved who don't love the Lord, who aren't obeying His commandments? No, nobody's saved by works. But if someone professes Christ and they have, they're just showing zero love for God, okay, it is okay for us to put them out of the church and even go as far as sometimes treating them like a heathen. Remember what Jesus said too about those? He said, if they won't listen to the church, let them be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. Didn't say he was a heathen or a publican. But if somebody comes in here and they're just living wicked and they refuse to repent of that wickedness, no, the Bible does not say that person just clearly wasn't really saved. No, just let him be as a heathen and a publican. That's what we're going to do. We're still not even making it a salvation issue. But it's like, hey, dude, and they might be saved, they might not be saved. But if they want to act like the heathen, if they want to act like they're unsaved, then they need to go with the heathen and with the unsaved. They shouldn't be around people here who are trying to do the right thing. And you know what? And he said, well, why would God tell us to do that? Because we're all just trying to do the right thing. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's tempting. And we don't need bad influences in here pushing people to do the wrong thing. So sometimes you do. You got you to excommunicate people. You got you to get rid of them. And often people will doubt someone is saved because their behavior is so awful. And th- listen, have you ever looked at somebody's behavior and thought they are so bad? I don't see how they're saved. We all think that. Okay? Now, is that us claiming salvation is by works? Okay? And again, you know, we got to be careful about this because you know this doesn't even mean we believe in some kind of works-based justification. It just means we can't figure out how a child of God could get away with being that wicked. Because I know what my Heavenly Father would do to me. But here's the other thing, too. We don't always know what God's, how God's dealing with a person in their life. I remember when I was growing up, there were times, or, you know, there were times that I did. I, like, was just mad at my sisters and wanting Dad to deal with them. And so, like, sometimes he would deal with them, but wouldn't let me know what was going on because he didn't want me taking pleasure in it. And, you know, and I've, I've done the same thing with my kids before. It's just like, you know what, you're enjoying your brother getting spanked too much. I know he needs a spanking, but, you know, you'll do it and not let him know about it. You know, just because it's not your business anyway. And so we don't always know how God is dealing with his children. So, again, if you're going to go out, I just don't believe that person's saved. If that's really a child of God, he should be laying in a hospital right now. Well, you don't know what's going on in their life. Watch out. We got to watch out for that. We got to watch out for that kind of thing. But don't get don't get me wrong. We're all going to think it because if you are, if you're living like the devil. And I, I mean, I saw it recently where there was a preacher who was behaving in a very wicked way. And, you know, there were preach there and a preacher accused him of being unsaved. And it's like he was trying to act like he was teaching work salvation. It's like, no, I, it's hard to imagine a saved preacher acting that way. Anything's possible. You know, anything's possible, but I can't see your heart. Okay, I can only see your works. So, uh, and and we all know what James, uh, James too. We talk about being justified before man, and so um, we can get these things wrong. Luckily, nobody is standing before me on Judgment Day, and luckily I'm not the one who judges who's saved and washed and who isn't. Because if all all's I had to go off was people's works. There's probably a lot of saved people who'd be going to hell, and I'd probably be letting a lot of unsaved people into heaven if, if I was the one judging. So, uh, you know, there are there are people. So while there's a lot of places we could go or talk about repentance for the believer, I do want to focus on one passage. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter seven, because Second Corinthians chapter seven, uh, we do we see a lot of examples of repentance for the believer, or several different kinds of repentance, and so. Uh, there are, there's a lot of places we could go, but I, the main thing I want to get across that I think is really important tonight, we can learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is not going to be an exhaustive study on this subject. But verse 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us cleanse ourselves. Hey, what's the only thing that can cleanse us and get us into heaven? The blood of Christ. Okay, but on earth, on earth, right now, we should be cleansing ourselves. 
You understand that? We, are, we should be not so we can get into heaven. There is no cleansing that you can do yourself that will get you into heaven. But there are things that we can do to help us have a better relationship with God and be more effective as a Christian. And so, understand, there is no contradiction here. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And notice this verse here, saying, having therefore these promises. This was right after the famous passage on separation in chapter 6. It says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That is a command for saved people. Be separate. We've been called to be separate. As believers, and we're not even going to take time to go to 2 Corinthians 6, but that would help a lot if we went and went through all that. But verse 2 says, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. And Paul's desire to see these people change. And Paul wanted to see these people change. This in no way meant he did not love or care about them. And isn't that the other thing you do when you call out anybody's sin? Oh, you hate them. Isn't that how it is today? Oh, you don't like everything about a certain group? You're a racist? Oh, you don't agree with the Jews' religion? You're, you know, you're anti-Semitic? And it's just like, no, I, sometimes people are wrong. Sometimes people need to fix things. Just because I think somebody's unsaved and on their way to hell doesn't mean I hate them. In fact, in fact, I love them is why I tell the truth about these things. And it's the same thing too. If a preacher gets up and he's preaching on your sin, it's not because he hates you, he loves you. Paul loved these people. Paul, without a doubt, loved the church in Corinth. But Paul had to call out their sins, and Paul did call out their sins. Paul wanted them to change, but it didn't mean he didn't love them or care about them. But we want some people to change. We can love a drunk out in the street, and if because we love him, we're going to try to get him saved, and you know what else we're going to try to do? We're going to try to get him to stop doing something he loves, and that is drinking. You know why? Because we love him and we understand it's destroying his life. It's not, it's not hate to be against someone's behavior. It's not hate to be against someone's culture if that culture is sinful and destructive. That is not hateful. That's, it's actually loving it is the reality. But he says, verse 4, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. And Paul Paul loved these people. He even gloried in them, but it didn't mean that the problems that they had in their life were okay. They still had stuff they needed to get out of their life. It is, and it is very possible to be zealous in your love for people while being very bold in your rebuking and your influence to try to get them to repent of sins. It's, you, you can be both. People think being loving today, because they watch the news media and everything, they think being loving is approving of everything they do. No, you can greatly love people while being very bold and tell them, you shouldn't be doing that kind of thing. You, you can do that. I mean, parents, do you really think, if you see another parent yelling at their kid for running out in the street that they hate their kid? No, you would think they hate their kid if they're letting them run out in the street. So it's, it's weird that we, this mentality we have is so backwards and twisted. Verse 5, For when we were coming to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. And it's important that we remember this, and you, you can see more if we go through all the letters, we're not going to do that. But in Paul's first letter, Paul was pretty rough on him, and he called them out for a lot of serious sins. 1 Corinthians is a pretty rough letter. And he writes a lot differently to them than he did to the church in Thessalonica. Very different, because this church, they had a lot of real, real big problems. There were some very strong rebukes. And without a doubt, Paul told them, that these things, they're going to have a major negative impact and it could cause a major... And, and Paul knew, if I tell this church what it needs to hear, I know what he's thinking. This could potentially cause a split in the church. It could cause a rebellion. And while he didn't want that you know, for them, it didn't change the fact 
he had to deal with this problem. And let me tell you, that stinks as a pastor sometimes when you have to deal with things, knowing, hey, this might run these people off. We don't want to run people off. But sometimes doing the right thing, telling the truth, is going to run people off. And you never want it to happen, but sometimes it does happen. But boy, there's nothing more, there's no greater blessing that when you do have to deal with somebody, when they acknowledge their sin and they repent and get right, there is nothing more thrilling than that. Let me tell you, when there's sin in a church, it's always difficult, it's always grieving. But one of the reasons it's so difficult for pastors dealing with that many times is because often people don't repent. And when you confront them and you deal with it, they typically run off only to go deeper into sin. And we don't want that. We don't want that, but we can't accept the sin. But when you confront it and you deal with it and they repent, it is the greatest thing in the world. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's what we, it's what we want. Cause we, I got to stay right with God as a pastor. I got to deal with certain things, but I don't want to run people off. And so when you do the right thing, you're good with God. But then when you see that the people do the right thing, it's, it's a very rewarding, very good thing. And so verse 8 says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. Okay, now was Paul getting saved right here? No, because again, repentance is not always about salvation. Because Paul said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. And so, it's important we understand this about too, about repentance of sin or repentance of believer. Sometimes, repentance of sins or uh, of anything, it's temporary. Temporary repentance is not the best repentance. Okay, if you want to know what temporary repentance is like, your children are almost always repentant after a spanking. You know, after you give them a good old-fashioned spanking when they've been fighting with their brother and sister, I'll never do it again. And they mean it. If you put them on a lie detector, they would pass when they say, I'll never hit my brother again. But they're repentant. But they typically repent of that repentance, don't they? <laughs> they typically do. After, time, after some time passes, they repent. And what is it that you want as a parent? You want your, you want your kids to forsake these things forever. Okay? And eventually they do. Eventually they grow up and move out and then they quit hitting each other. Hopefully. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's always, your, it's always your goal. It's always your goal to get them to permanently repent. And so, that's the, the kind of repentance we should all want as a believer is permanent repentance. And this is the thing, too, about these hardcore camp meeting type churches where they teach people they have to repent of their sins for salvation is the people are constantly repenting of their repentance. And why is it? Because again, when you're at the camp meeting and the preachers tell you, let me tell you, if you can, if you can miss church and it not eat you up, if you can gossip and eat roast preacher and it not just tear your heart out, I question your salvation. Whatever it is. You know, you, some of you teenage boys, you've been watching some of them things you shouldn't be watching. You might want to check see if you're even saved. And then, man, there, there's and then they tell a scary story about hell, and and then man, they freak out. Like man, guess I'm not saved. I'm still tempted to sin. They go forward and they're I mean they're repentant, and it's like Lord, this time, this time I'll be good. This time I'm forsaking all my sins. I'll never do it again. I'll never watch another bad movie. I'll never look at a woman to lust after again. I'll never do any of those things again. But the, and they're repentant. They mean it. But the problem is, a few months later, their, their flesh still wants to sin. And you know what they a lot of times do? They repent of their repentance that they had. It, it's, it's never permanent. So they got to do it every year at camp meeting. They're getting saved again. That, but, but folks, the kind of repentance that we want, we want permanent repentance. And that's why here's the thing, you know, when it, com when it comes to repentance for salvation, it is permanent. People are always coming up with these scenarios. Well, what if somebody decides they, like, like the uh, Arminians, that you can revoke your salvation? Wait a minute. If you believe salvation is eternal, like they claim they do, that it's without works, like they claim they do, 
and that it saves you from eternity in hell. Why would you want to revoke that? That doesn't even make sense. Uh, I, I want to go to hell. That, that doesn't even make sense. Okay? No, if, you, if, if that's how you feel, it's because you just don't believe. That's all there is to it. And I, I do not believe a believer can stop believing. I, I don't believe that. And, and here's another thing nobody factors in with eternal security. One of the most important things that nobody factors in, even though we have plenty of Bible verses telling us about this, like the Holy Spirit that seals us to the day of, of redemption, is we have the Holy Spirit that testifies that we are the sons of God. It testifies the truth of these things. You cannot stop believing when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't, you can't do that. Nobody factors that in. You know why? Because everyone telling you you can lose your salvation is not saved, and they don't have the Holy Spirit testifying in, in them. But those of us who are saved and have the Holy Spirit, it's just not possible. It would be like you, know, you claiming that I am not there when I'm standing in front of you slapping you in the face. Okay? You are not going to believe I am not standing in front of you when I'm standing in front of you slapping you in the face. And the Holy Spirit is always there with us as believers. So there's no way that we can stop believing. We can't deny what is in us. We can't do it. But yet many people have revoked their salvation. They have walked away from their salvation. You know why? Because they were able to walk away from their profession. They were able to walk away from their repentance of sins. They were able to walk away from their false religion, their false gospel. But folks, you can't walk away from the true gospel. It just can't, it can't be done. Uh, I'm not here preaching against Arminium stuff, but it just doesn't make sense. It just it reveals their false gospel that they're truly trusting in. And so, verse 9, but true repentance, okay, for salvation is permanent. But here's the thing too. The true repentance for a believer, okay, for, that comes from godly sorrow, that also is permanent. And this is what we all need to be shooting for. And we might not all have this in certain areas. But this is what we should all be shooting for. Okay? Because how many of you have... Rep- like, we, we can't even repent of a diet. Like, I can't, we can't even repent of soda. You know, junk food. How many of you have before have repented of junk food before and then you repented of that repentance? We've all done that. Okay? How do we make these things permanent? That's what we got to be shooting for. So he says, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry. Okay, Paul wasn't just glad that they felt bad. Oh, good, I made them feel bad. No, that's not the goal. We're not just trying to make our kids feel bad. We don't spank our kids just because we want them to experience the pain of a spanking. That's not why we do it. Okay, we want them to be sorry, not just because we're cruel and we want to make them feel bad, but that he sorrowed to repentance. We want them to repent. We want them to change their ways. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly repentance to salva- or, or for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. So again, salvation or repentance for salvation, it's not repented of. Y'all understand that? We've already, we've already talked about that. But notice how it says, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. That sorrow, and people will tell you this too, repentance often in the Bible, it's true, is sorrow. It truly is. But what most people are shooting for today, in the camp meetings, in a lot of churches, it is the sorrow of the world. In other words, I want to make people feel really bad about this, and that's not hard to do. Again, how, again, when it comes to diet, how many of you feel bad after watching a documentary, you know, like Supersize Me or something like that? Okay, well, I watched that years ago, and I repented of McDonald's for like a month. Okay? And, you know, you do. When you're watching that, you feel bad in that situation. You listen to some of these, you know, seminar-type dietitians and stuff that come out showing you the dramatic things with the big thing of sugar. You know, this is how much the average American sugar puts through their body. You know, here's a picture of what your liver looks like. Here's a picture of what your pancreas looks like and all this stuff. And, and you watch that and it's like, man, you feel bad. I mean, you feel terrible. You feel like the biggest junk food junkie. 
They, they make you feel that way. They bring sorrow. And there are preachers, they're good at getting you to feel bad. They'll use their Ray Comfort type tactics. They're good at getting people to, to feel bad about their sins, but it's the sorrow of the world that worketh death. All of those people, everyone that Ray Comfort has ever gotten saved with his making them feel really bad about their sins, repented of their repentance. Everyone that Ray Comfort has ever got to repent of their sins for salvation has all repented of that repentance. Why? Because he uses the sorrow of the world to get through to these people, and that works death. But godly sorrow worketh repentance to be salvation, to, not to be repented of. Those who have believed on Christ and have fully trusted in Him for their salvation, they stay that way. You don't move from that. You don't lose that. It, 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 you can't do that. And the same thing when it comes to even repentance of other things in our life. If we will get to that place of godly sorrow, we can make these things permanent. And there is, so there's a worldly repentance that lost people experience when they're sorry they did something, but it's more of a sorry they got caught. You know, when everybody's looking, you know, whenever, when, when you get caught and everybody sees you doing something, of course you feel terrible. But that's not godly sorrow. And so that, um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, Spend a lot of time on this. I need, I need to move on. But I believe there have been many who have professed faith in Christ, but they were trying out Christianity, Christianity. They weren't really believing on Christ. I believe there's people who, again, they'll, they'll watch preaching like ours online. They'll learn the lingo. They know what they're supposed to say. We might even baptize some of these people, but they don't really believe it. They're trying it out. You don't just try out Christianity. Well, I'm going to go try being Baptist for a while. Oh, okay, so how do Baptists think you ought to get saved? Well, let me tell them. All right, let's do that. Well, wait, do you really believe it? Do you, do you really believe it? Because if they don't really believe it, we can get them to say a prayer a hundred times. It's not, going to get, it's not going to get them saved. They can get baptized. They can dress like us, act like us. If they don't believe it, it's not going to do anything for them. They need to come to a place where they truly believe it. And so a repentance that isn't genuine and isn't even fully trusting Christ will not be effective. It may bring about a period of time where one becomes religious, but it will not last. The sorrow of the world, it works death. You must truly believe to be saved. And I believe it's also important to have godly sorrow for repentance when it comes to other areas in our life as believers. Too many Christians, too many saved people are jumping on board with different denominations and movements. They're often vocally supportive of these things for a while, only to dump them later on. You know why? Because they never really believe these things. Oh, I like this crowd right now. I'm going to be just like you. I'm going to be posting all your stuff on social media. I'm going to be out there condemning everyone who doesn't believe like you. I'm going to call them heretics and reprobates and the whole nine yards. But then as soon as we make them mad, they dump it all. And that happens all the time in churches. People come in and they do, man, they change everything in their life. Almost scary fast. And they change everything in their life. And then as soon as the preacher makes them mad, they leave the church and they dump everything. They dress the way they did before. They act the way they did before. Everything changes immediately. You know why? They never really believed it. They never really accepted those beliefs. And we don't need to be critical of those who quite possibly might just be trying something out. They're, they're going to come through here. But we need to pray that they are fully persuaded, that they fully embrace the truth, and we might not always know if someone's there or not, but we do need to examine ourselves and make sure we are fully convinced of what we have accepted as truth. We want to come to that place where we truly believe. And let me tell you something. If, if we twist your arm into repenting of drinking, there's a good chance you're probably going to go back to it assuming our influence leaves one of these days. But if you will come to that place of godly sorrow, where you understand how God feels about it. You understand what God's Word says about it. And you do. And you commit to follow, following that. You're probably not going to... You know, I'm not saying you, a Christian can't ever mess up somewhere and fall off the wagon. But it can be permanent. You can permanently walk away from some things. You can do it. There are many people who used to be drunkards. And they have testimonies that they've gone years and decades and they've gone to their graves, never doing those things again. Many people have walked away from major sins that were strongholds in their life. 
where they, they but it, it, they all have the same testimony. It came to a place where it just, they hit rock bottom. And once they, they tried many times, they half-heartedly tried because their family was pushing them to do something, because the church was pushing them to do something. It's, and it's good that they had that, but until they come to a place where they are fully in agreement with God about these things, it's probably not going to be permanent. It's probably not going to last. That's what you need to understand with your kids too. With your kids, especially when they're little and you're able to punish them and ground them and all these kind of things. It's not that hard to get them to conform. But we need to try to get them to where they fully embrace what we teach and what we believe. Otherwise, as soon as they leave the house, they're going to do something else. We need to, pray, we need to do whatever we can to get them to the place where they are fully in agreement with the things of God, with what we teach. Otherwise, it's not going to last. So verse 11 says, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. Watch this. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Now, Paul, I believe, is specifically dealing with a situation where they had a, a man in the church who was in great sin and they needed to deal with him. They needed to remo- remove him. But notice, when it came to those things, it became very apparent to Paul that these things were careful about it. Means they were greatly concerned that they were handling things properly. There are, there are things that should freak us out as Christians. In other words, if we find out there's some kind of major sin in the church, we ought we shouldn't just be like, eh, I'm sure the Lord will work things out. No, we ought to be like, hey, we got to do something about this. Hey, we need to fix this. This is serious. This could have a lot of problems. There's some false doctrine going on in the church. Eh, it's, it's no big deal. Truth will come out in the end. No! A little leaven, leaven it the whole lump. Let's be careful about this. Let's do something about it. Yea, what clearing of stuff. Yea, what indignation. We ought to get mad about some things. You know, there's some things that ought to upset us. Yea, what fear. We ought to fear God. These people, when Paul confronted them with the truth of what was going on in their church, it freaked them out. And they were very diligent in making sure that they dealt with it in a biblical way. Let's do this right. So they did. This godly sorrow caused them, as a church, to be careful in other words, they took great care and concern. They cleared themselves. They made sure they weren't in any trouble with God. Lord, is everything okay with us? That's how we ought to be. Whenever something's going on in this church, whenever there's some kind of sin, we have to deal with something. After we deal with it, we ought to be praying, seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, are we okay? If God deals with something in your life and you get that out of your life, Lord, are we okay now? Are we all good? Is there anything else? We ought to have, we ought to have that concern that our relationship's good with God. Uh, it says... You know, they obviously feared the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And they didn't just get things right. They got mad about the wrong. They proved to Paul they were not only following his instructions, but we're on the same page with you, Paul. We're not just doing what you told us to do. Sometimes I feel like people are just telling us, or they're just doing what we tell them to do. That's, you know, it's like, I remember when I used to teach in the Christian school and I would get on to kids sometimes. And I could tell, you know, and you do start asking questions. Like, why did you do that? Why would you do this? And it's like they just start telling you what you want to hear. And it's just like, wait, no. Is this how you really feel? Or you just tell me what I want to hear? And it's like they just know. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. It's, I don't think you mean it. I don't think you're truly repentant. And, but when you see people truly concerned about the wrong, that's a good sign. He says, wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we are comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceeding the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, yet I am not ashamed, but as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found of truth, and his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him, I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence of you in all things. This church had been diligent in their actions in a way that convinced Paul they fully understood the situa- situation. That's what they need. 
That's what you want to see in your kids. When they do wrong, you want to make sure they understand what they did wrong. Do you understand what you did wrong? What did you do wrong? <laughs> no, here's what was wrong. You're not supposed to pull your sister's hair out. Now, do you understand what you did wrong? Yeah, you're not supposed to pull your sister's hair out. And they just repeat back what you said. I don't think you get it. You're getting another spanking. You know, and it's like, you know, you want to make sure they understood the wrong that they did. And so this church had been diligent in their actions. I'm afraid far too often we're content to just get people to go along, to get along in churches today. This just, but all this does is it turns people into hypocrites and Pharisees. That's all it does. It turns them into hypocrites and Pharisees. And as Christians, we've been called to liberty. First Peter 2.16 is free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. So again, we, we've, been, we've, been called, we've, we've been called to liberty, but liberty is not to be used as a license to sin. That's very clear in the Scriptures. And when people are wanting to try to use liberty as some kind of license to sin, it just shows they've not been convinced about the truth of that sin. We need to convince them. We need to fully get them there. And we don't really gain anything as a church by twisting someone's arm into conformity in some area. They need these things to become a conviction for themselves. If these things become a true conviction, they won't repent of those things later. But, and as a parent, get your goal for discipline is not just to make them pay for their crime. That's not what your goal should be. But to teach them consequences so they will learn their lesson so they won't do it again. That, that's the goal. And someday, because someday you're not going to be able to spank your kid anymore. And if spankings are the only thing stopping them from sin, you're going to have a huge problem when they leave the house. Your goal should be that godly sorrow for their sin. You don't want them to ever do it again. When your kid, you know, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever had a kid shoplift before? A little kid takes something they weren't supposed to take? You know, what do you do? Listen, you got to nip that stuff. All right? Every, I think every parent's had a kid steal something before. And you know what you do? You get it because they need to repent of that. Because if they don't, one of these days, the consequences are going to be much greater. And I'm thankful that, you know, I'm still scared to steal. You know, and, and the cops have never done anything to me for stealing. You know, my parents took care of that. Years ago, when I was probably six or seven years old, we went over to our neighbors and we ate apples off his apple tree without asking. Is that stealing? My dad said it was. And I'm scared. You know what? I, know, I, I, went, I, I, I get nervous too sometimes, and I know it's okay. I eat apples off my dead neighbor's tree. When I'm mowing his grass. And sometimes they're like, no, it's okay if I'm doing this. The people, nobody technically owns the house right now. And they're just falling to the ground. But I sometimes get nervous about that. Because I, I still remember how much that spanking hurt. It was, it, was, it, was, it was brutal. Your dad abused you. Well, you know what? I never had to go to jail. You know what? I've never been caught up in any of these looting like the, all these grown men who are, obviously never got spanked. And so... We need, that, we need that godly repentance. That's what we ought to be shooting for as a Christian. I want to be fully convinced of the truth about sin because I don't want to ever do these things. I want to keep these things out of my life forever, not just temporarily. I don't want to just put a Band-Aid on it. And that's what we need to shoot for. And so hopefully that was a help and a blessing to you. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, the warnings that we see in your word. And I pray you'll help each one here to have the wisdom to heed those warnings. And Lord, I pray you'll help them to do their diligence to study these things out to make sure so they can be fully persuaded so we'll never make these mistakes again, Lord. And I pray we'll just uh, do what we can to get on the same page with you and to purge ourselves from these sins. In your name we pray. Amen.